0: back to That's Ancient History for a new installment of our series, Ask a Classicist, where a guest comes on who doesn't have any background particularly (laughs) in ancient history or classics and asks me, your host, Jean Minas, their very pressing questions. (laughs) Today's guest is in fact a very extra special guest because it is Chris. Who is my boyfriend?
1: Oh,
0: hello! <laughs> Hi, Chris. Welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you for having me. Thanks for joining me. Um, have you been? Have you done your preparation? Have you have you got some questions ready to ask me?
1: I've done a little bit. I have some questions. Um, I don't know if they're good questions.
0: all, all questions are good <laughs> questions. That's the thing. Like all questions are good questions.
1: Aww. Oh. So what do we, do we just jump in?
0: Yeah, basically you are in charge of this episode, so you get to pick my brain and uh, see mm. how much I can remember. I'm not going to lie, I'm a little bit nervous, because it's been a while since I've recorded one of these episodes, so <laughs> um, be nice to me. Be nice uh,
1: to me, I'm nervous. Okay,
0: well you can't I've get anything this- wrong. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, um, please... Um, What is the word that I'm looking for? Please bless us all with your dulcet tones and ask away. (laughs)
1: Um, Well, I was thinking about social life.
0: Social life? Social
1: life in ancient times. In ancient times. Like, what did people do for fun?
0: Oh, what did people do for fun in antiquity?
1: Because we do board games and we do all sorts of um, stuff like that, which could have... Well, they did. They did exist.
0: Yes, absolutely. So... Uh, Chris and I, if you don't know, are massive board game fans. Um, should we should, should we plug, in fact?
1: Oh, I didn't intend
0: that. <laughs> it feels like a nice um, uh, the segue. We run an Instagram account where we review board games called Just a Couple of Meeples, which I'll link in the show notes. But yes, so there are certainly um, board game-esque or um, tabletop-esque games from antiquity, which... Um, for different cultures um in Egypt for example and um, there's one game in particular that was very popular called Senate um which has like mechanics most similar to like a draft or chess like game I um, mean you can get like modern versions of it and I, I do love that that you can buy um uh, like what is the word but like modern recreations um, of mm-hmm. ancient games it'd be really fun to try more of them I d- I've never played Senate myself but that's one that's very popular from ancient Egypt and there's even myths where the gods play Senate there's like a myth involving Thoth uh, which has very high stakes in fact for the creation of the universe where Senet is played um, we've actually I don't know if you've forgotten, but we've actually played an ancient Roman board game before. Oh,
1: we did. Yeah, it was Tabula.
0: Yeah, Tabula. So Tabula is another one. Um, I think a lot of them do have sort of similar to drafts or chess mechanics. Um, And that's true for a lot of old fashioned games. Do you know what I mean? Um, So Tabula was one where when we played it, we again had obviously a modern recreation, had little glass pieces, but I guess stones would have also been used um, originally. Um, where you were sort of hopping over each other's stones and glass pieces to try and get to the end and be the first person to get all your pieces to the end and you could knock other people's pieces off.
1: Mm, um, it's kind of like backgammon.
0: Yeah you're right actually it's very similar to backgammon. I could see there being backgammon influences in Tabula. Um, you hear about um, gods and um, other characters in Greek mythology um, playing knuckle bones. Um, you Ooh, know where that? they they sort of roll the knuckles and it depends uh, the knuckle bones um and depending on where they land different point systems um almost a bit like a die rolling game, you know mm. like a die drafting game um you've Actual got bones though? yes, I think so I'm not sure a hundred percent if there were variations without bones, but the original original was based on knuckle mm. bones um because of the shape, and um there are is a really famous um vase painting from ancient Greece a red figure vase painting of I think it's Achilles and Ajax I I would need to double check that but I'm pretty sure it's Achilles and Ajax playing like a a, a game of draughts or something like in mm-hmm. in that vein um which is really fun so like you see a lot of that yeah of board games and different sort of um tabletop games they're yeah Something that's been around for a long, long, long time and um, have changed a lot, but in many ways, I think a lot of the original game mechanics date back to different ancient cultures.
1: Oh, that is really cool.
0: It is cool. I think we should definitely seek out more. Um, In fact, if anyone listening knows of any modern recreations of ancient games that you can purchase, let us know because we definitely need to check them out and review them on just a couple of meeples. Um, We have reviewed Tabula, but we've got more. To, to get to, it seems like.
1: Yes. <laughs> we passed one in the shop earlier today. So.
0: We did. What was it that we passed in the shop today?
1: Was it like Mehmet? Or was it, mm, there was, there was some, something yeah. that sounded vaguely Egyptian.
0: Yeah. And and I mean, there's a lot of ancient Chinese <clears throat> games as well. I'm not particularly um, well acquainted with ancient Chinese culture, but there's definitely um, ancient Chinese games that I've seen before. Oh, that's a good question. I like that question. I don't think anyone has ever brought up board games in antiquity before, but I'm not surprised that it was you that did it.
1: <laughs> what about other, um, other distractions? Other distractions. There was obviously theatre and yes. plays, which mm-hmm. like, really obviously, but what about yeah. other stuff? Like, what did kids do?
0: What do kids do? Oh, gosh. I mean, <laughs> um, if, if, if you believe the text about ancient Sparta, the kids were basically in like extreme scouting every day, <laughs> learning to be like mini warriors and survive with bare feet in the streets and their parents don't give them food because they have to fend for themselves. <laughs> oh, that sounds like really
1: fun.
0: Um, you have, um, for for young boys, gymnasiums. And, and older men as well, but for, like, men of all ages, gymnasiums were a big part of particularly Greek social life um, and pastimes. They would have spent a lot of time in the gymnasiums.
1: Is that gym in the same sense that we use it? Today, yeah,
0: they don't have treadmills. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, it's gymnasium. Um, wrestling, very popular. Um, I mean, yeah, any sort of games from the Olymp- the original, like, Olympic game sports. But I think, like, wrestling, really, one of the main... Uh, activities of the old gymnasium mm-hmm. in antiquity.
1: It's like ancient leisure centres.
0: They are, yeah. And there was, um, I mean, there's a lot of like complex background to like relationships between young and older men in ancient Greece that lots of people agree and, and disagree about what what was going on there. Um, but certainly a lot of time would have been spent at the gymnasium. Um. And I mean, like young women and, I mean, there's lots of different things. I mean, religious... In Greece, anyway, in particular, like, religious um, festivals were a massive part of everyday life because if you weren't currently participating in a religious festival, especially if you were women, and that includes young women, there was a good chance you were preparing for a religious festival. I think I read somewhere that maybe a third of the year um, would have been taken up by preparation for religious festivals for women, and that was, like, a massive pastime and activity for them. Mm. Um. So they would have been doing that and you do get like uh, um, young girls would like serve at the temple of Artemis and um, all of those kind of activities. So a lot of Greek life was incorporated into religious life and even like you say with tragedies and comedies and plays, the theatre was a religious spectacle, it was part of religious festivals, these plays were written and performed in honour of the gods. So. It all came back to different parts of like civic and religious life in in a way, mm-hmm. um, and then I mean hard work, and, you know. <laughs> Just graft. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think um, you do definitely get like poems and texts talking about children playing and things like that, but um, it's not some. It's it's like all historical periods where I don't. I think now people have more leisure time than they've ever had before. Yeah. It's bit, well, that would also depend on class, though, as well. Um, <laughs> if you're a wealthy Greek or a wealthy woman, you certainly would have more leisure time than, than a working class one, say.
1: Uh-huh. What about um, music, then?
0: Music. Mm. They had music. <laughs> 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 they had music. Yeah, they had music. Um, they, they played um, instruments. You've got, like, um, flutes um, and lyres are the kind of instruments you had, like string and wind instruments. Um, and you would have a variety, you, in, in Greece, you would have had musicians and, um, choirs, uh, or the equivalent of a choir, like performing at religious festivals again, but you would have also had musicians playing at symposiums and entertaining, um, men in the evening. Symposiums, again, are another thing, which is, um, a, a male practice. It was a way of socializing with other men, in the evenings and you would listen to music and um, you would eat food and you would discuss philosophy and probably just gossip a bit and have a bit of a time (laughs) and maybe get a bit drunk. (laughs) So lots of things. I mean, not too dissimilar, I don't think. like Different in lots and lots of ways, but um, I think a lot of pastimes have just, you know, grown and developed rather than um, springing out of nowhere today.
1: Yes. And with technology as well, exactly. not just like electric, yeah. electric technology, yeah. but general technology as well. Yeah,
0: exactly. Yeah. So I guess those are some of the things that people would have been up to in antiquity. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's really odd thinking about ancient Greece where you, you get a lot of media with it being like, you know, hyper philosophy and culture oh, yeah. and then think of people playing board games. and. Oh
0: yeah, playing board playing games.
1: Like, Whatever the ancient equivalent of hopscotch is. Or... Yeah,
0: making fart jokes, drawing um, <laughs> phallic symbols on walls, graffiti. You can get graffiti from ancient Greece and ancient Rome that literally says things along the lines of, you know, um, sort of Chris loves Jean. You know, just silly things <laughs> like that. Just, just like you get silly today. Things. Oh, not silly, sorry. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just like fun graffiti. I mean, some of it's a lot ruder than what I just said, but um, yes. yeah. <laughs> absolutely people just out there living their lives <laughs>
1: it's like the ancient they had ancient roman coins with um flying on. oh
0: yeah the flying fallacies and you also got um I am um, from Rome. They're sort of like almost mobiles, you know, that hang from the, c- the ceiling on chains, little f- like penises with wings and feet. <laughs> really? Like a like a penis with wings and feet and they're like made out of bronze and they hang from the ceiling.
1: <laughs> oh, humor doesn't really change, does it?
0: <laughs> no, I think that um, sort of genitalia and um, like fart and poo themed jokes are timeless and um, date back further than probably any other sense of (laughs) humour.
1: Oh, that's really funny. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, what was my other stuff? Oh, courtship. Courtship. How did courtship work? And that's something that might change based on social class as well. But in ancient Europe and when you had to forge alliances between Mm. different kingdoms and different noble families, you'd marry people together and that was marriages of convenience but
0: I mean that's not I mean you wouldn't necessarily get directly like marriages like if I if I so I always come back to Athens if if you're not going to be specific I'm going to go to Athens because it's my um (laughs) if you're not going to be specific (laughs) (laughs) it's
1: it's going to be wildly different exactly even within Greece let alone anywhere else so it's just
0: so during the Athenian democracy you're not going to get marriages in that sense um outside of athens because for one to be an athenian citizen you had to have athenian parents um so you couldn't you know marry um your daughter off to a theban um during, both parents? yes both parents had to be athenian citizens um during the democracy anyway well after pericles citizenship law but um there was very much like a sort of protective sense of like keeping it within athens um, so you don't so much get that kind of thing. Uh, one of the things I always remember um, a lecture talking about a university was the idea that um, during the Olympic Games in Greece, uh, the games were all performed entirely in the nude. So the men that were performing in these games, running, wrestling, what have you, were all naked. Um, but they were also events that could um, have spectators of all... like sex and genders you know you had women and men there come to watch them um and you you hear about the idea that maybe like women would like sort of assess and get an idea of the young single men that were out there and available um but again like in Athens you absolutely had to have your father's permission it was um something that you know was a decision between your father and your suitor um, that's not to say every family wouldn't have been different and some women got to marry men they loved and others didn't, but it was definitely something that was down um, to your father. If you're interested in some absolutely hilarious like stories of courtship, then the place to go is Ovid, who's a Roman poet from um, the early empire. So Ovid was writing during uh, Augustus's reign and um, Augustus on one hand was introducing a lot of moral laws. Um, in order to promote like uh, marriage and uh, child rearing and specific values within uh, the family and he very much painted himself as like a family man ruler. Um, whereas then you have poets like Ovid who just absolutely wrote the complete opposite and wrote a whole textbook basically on how to pick up women. <laughs> so <laughs> he wrote this... Um, Poem um, called the Ars Amatoria uh, or The Art of Love which is written in three chapters. And chapter one is like where to pick up women and like how to pick up women. So he'd suggest, for example, going into the circus or the theatre, sitting behind a woman and, you know, maybe like rubbing your knee on the back of her (laughs) dress. Or if you think um, you see a speck of dirt on her dress, just go, oh, let me get that for you. But then he even goes so far as to say, oh, even if there's not a speck of dirt, just pretend there is so you can brush it off her. Um uh, but there is a lot of levity and fun in that, but there's also the idea that he set a lot of these scenes in places which were built by Augustus or were seats of like imperial power. so he'd be like, go to these places that are important to Augustus who's written all these moral laws and pick up women
1: oh, um, middle finger
0: Absolutely and it wasn't really framed as um how to find a wife. It was like how to find a mistress mm. and then in the second book or chapter of uh, the art of love he goes more into detail about like sort of keeping your mistress happy and like sort of you know all of the fun stuff then thirdly he actually addresses women in his third book um, and talks to them about keeping their man their men happy and like being mistresses and all of that stuff and it's quite fun to read in tandem because there are so many contradictions between what he tells women and men which sort of it implies that he was very much saying these things to a certain extent in tongue-in-cheek because he would have been aware that people were reading them back-to-back. Back. Yeah. He didn't really think only women would read the third chapter and only men would read the first. Can you imagine if someone gave you this book about picking up women and then said, no, but don't read the third chapter. That's for women only. <laughs> of course, everyone read it all. Um, but that is, like, the thing. Like, you, 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 can, you can get the sense that, yeah, it's all, you know, agreements between husbands and... The fathers and it's all very precise and moral and what have you according to the laws and certain cultural standards whatever Um, but then you have texts which just show that at the same time there are people flirting and there are people having affairs when they're younger or people writing graffiti about rude things that they want to do with the girl down the road and you have all of that as well and that's not too different um how easy that was is very you know debatable i mean in lots of different parts of antiquity things like adultery were incredibly illegal in athens in, in particular it wasn't only illegal to commit adultery but it was illegal to have sex with a woman who just like wasn't your wife but was a citizen so this obviously doesn't apply to um women who worked in brothels um, or slave women. It only applied to, say, if you had sex with a woman who had the potential to be married off legitimately. If you had Mm. sex with her outside of that, that was very illegal. So, you know, there's what is supposed to happen and what actually happens, and they're not always the same.
1: And that doesn't change throughout history. No. (laughs) (laughs) No. They had a very uneven way of viewing citizens being non-citizens, didn't they?
0: Yes, absolutely. Well, particularly in Athens, like citizenship was um very very precious to them they, is that something
1: really specific to athens
0: no the, there's lots of different um degrees of how important citizenship was i mean to be it just depends how easy it was to get i mean i mean realistically the roman empire went around giving quite a lot of people roman citizenship which could be quite a beneficial thing to have and um, others got given it who didn't really want it and um, whereas <laughs> athens were very like insular um and then other places we just don't exactly know how easy or how hard it was to become a citizen because unlike Athens they weren't writing every single thought down that passed through their head <laughs> like not everywhere has as much surviving
1: what are the misconceptions that really really irk
0: you? <laughs> about what specifically? Um,
1: Greek myth or Greek <laughs> society or oh, could, be, could be anything
0: I but... know what Chris is getting at <laughs> It doesn't have to be that one. I was I
1: was wondering if there was one that you'd. Well, for context,
0: um, I made I I I've done a couple of TikToks about this recently. Um, that that there is a very overwhelming modern misconception, especially online, that um, Hades and Persephone's relationship starts out as a consensual relationship between both gods in ancient mythology which it just doesn't there's no ancient version in which Hades comes and says Persephone do you want to marry me and she goes yeah great I want to come with you and goes to the underworld and that's all grand and happy he always abducts her and she always objects to it um there are modern retellings of course which um are different and that's fine and it's all well and good to retell myths my pet peeve though is the fact that then you get some people who start arguing for this as being an ancient version when there's absolutely no like evidence of it and in fact there is quite consistent there's a lot of consistency among the sources in how it does come across um and people will fight you tooth and nail that Hades and Persephone's relationship began as a consensual one and have absolutely not a single source to provide and it's just odd to me like fair enough if you found a source and i have missed it and everyone else i know has missed it whatever like i i don't care like i'm not that invested ancient history is whatever the sources tell us and how we can learn and interpret and that's all well and good i just find it so odd how fiercely people will argue for this being an ancient version of the story with like literally no proof
1: (laughs) so that disregard of The analytical process yeah exactly
0: and that's fine to say like i like this version i like this modern version of the myth i think it's interesting myth is obviously always changing and that's absolutely okay but don't take a story from an ancient culture and try to argue that the ancients believed it was something that it wasn't that that's weird to me weird 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 um
1: validating your own romanticization of it
0: yeah well i also think it's a shame for that myth in particular because a lot of the time when it turns into the version where Hades and Persephone are very very happy together from the get-go. Um, Demeter gets done really like unfairly. <laughs> Demeter gets painted as this horrible like oppressive, controlling mother. And actually in the, the original myth, for me, Demeter is this incredibly strong woman who loves her daughter and wants to save her and is a real demonstration of female strength. Um which is a shame. But um I, I think that's my only pet peeve really is just when anyone adamantly argues something about antiquity without a source you know like I have certain interpretations of antiquity that other ancient historians don't hold but some do and I don't agree with all they do but like the fact that they can argue I'm like fair enough do you know what I mean like we interpret the evidence differently and that's fine it's not a pet peeve when we disagree um but when people <laughs> do that, that that's definitely a pet peeve Yeah Um, And I mean there's so many misconceptions about antiquity Which are like really common I mean you watch Hollywood films And women in Athens are dressed in like Quite revealing togas Which is very (laughs) inaccurate I mean first of all togas are Roman The Greeks didn't wear togas But also in um, democratic classical Athens uh, Women were very modestly dressed And uh, quite often wore veils Uh, There's a really good book Mm -hmm. Um Think it's called Aphrodite's Tortoises. Um, I might have to double check that by Lloyd Llewellyn Jones, um, which is on the topic of veiling in Athens and in women's lives in Athens. Um, so that's like something that's pretty, like, commonly misconceived um, in Hollywood. I mean, there's a ton of stuff, really.
1: I didn't know there'd be veils. Yeah,
0: yeah. there, there was. Um, generally speaking, in Athens during the democratic era, um, veiling was a practice that women did when they left the oh, home. Wow. Um,
1: yeah. That's basically the whole of Disney's Herculeses. Is...
0: I mean, yeah. But I, like I, I think when I was younger, <laughs> I think I used to get a lot more annoyed about misconceptions, but now I'm just so happy when anyone finds an interest in antiquity and um how are you supposed to know differently until you find the source that tells you differently like especially if your introduction is through pop culture and that's all well and grand i think it's just being open to learn and um discover new things and maybe have your mind and opinion changed if you've learned something from one place and then learn differently from somewhere else
1: yes Anything that can spark a bit of an interest, I yeah, suppose.
0: Yeah, exactly. And Disney's Hercules is fantastic. I mean, it's wrong in lots of ways. Hera <laughs> is not Hercules' mum. Hera is very, very much Hercules' stepmom and hates him with a passion in, in, in myth. Her- her- Hercules, or Heracles, is also a bit of a douching myth. And <laughs> um, <laughs> a bit. Yeah, and um, Pegasus is not made out of clouds. Pegasus is actually the offspring of Medusa when she has her head severed, and Pegasus is born from the bloody stump.
1: Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, did you know? Yeah, know. so
0: when Perseus chops off Medusa's head, she births children that she was pregnant with um, from Poseidon. Um, and one of them is, is Pegasus and they come from her bloody stump.
1: Oh, they missed that bit housing in Clash of the Titans as well then. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's a bad thing, I've not seen the old Clash of the Titans oh. as well.
0: The old Clash of the Titans is fantastic. It's another Ray Harryhausen um, endeavour with just really cool special effects like Jason and the Argonauts.
1: I've not seen that either. Oh, well, oh! Actually no, I might have seen that when I was a kid but...
0: Well, we've got some watching to do then. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I do really want to see some of those old films with those, yeah, those effects. Yeah,
0: they are very cool. They are very cool.
1: What's your um? What was your well? It's two two parts, I suppose. Okay. What's your least favorite <laughs> Greek myth? <gasps> oh. I always asked about like least <laughs>
0: stuff
1: because yeah. I think that's a bit got a bit more. sassy.
0: Yeah. I mean, I do you have a bit of a a pet peeve as we've talked about with Hades and Persephone? But that's not necessarily because I don't like the original myth. I mean, the original myth is also horrible. It's abduction, but there's loads of myths of abduction and, um ancient times. I don't know if I have a least favourite myth. I mean, there's so many which are horrendous and horrible things happening. So I could list off a long list of myths where I think what happens in them is terrible, but I don't, like, hate a myth. Do you know what I mean? Myths are so interesting and... I am um, seeing the way that they're used by ancient people and adapted by ancient people, and what they meant to ancient people is fascinating and such an important part of being an ancient historian. Like you can't ignore mythology in favor of reality. Like that's not how it works because myth is a part of everyday life in antiquity. Yeah. So I don't. I don't think I've got a least favorite. Sorry, that's a bit boring. <laughs> no, that's a really good answer. <laughs> I mean,
1: I, I guess it's kind of why you're doing yeah. you <laughs> yeah, did PhD. Yeah, exactly. For like, what, 9
0: ten 11 oh my goodness well oh, I started when I was 18 and I'm 29 now so 11 years 11 years Maybe um, yeah and although I'll finish my PhD probably before I'm 30 depending on the viva stage and everything yeah I'm not gonna officially have graduated until I'm 30 so 12 mm. years
1: <laughs> I was yeah I was going to ask before what um, what drew you to Athens in particular
0: what drew me to Athens in particular to be honest I think it was something that um, uh, spiralled from a course. Um, so in my fourth year of university, because I did an undergraduate at Edinburgh University where the um, undergraduates are four years. Um, in my fourth year, I did one class in particular called uh, Athenian Law and Economy. And I did also do another class that ran alongside that, um, which was very complementary, called Political Thought and Practice in Ancient Greece. But again, it had a, a it was very focused towards Athens, although it wasn't mm. exclusively about Athens, but then the Athenian Law and Economy course was obviously focused in on Athens. And until then I had been far more sort of, I guess, drawn to the Hellenistic era of ancient Greek history, whereas this was more about the classical era, and I really enjoyed learning about like Alexandria um, and and life under the Ptolemies, and that was like one of my favourite periods to to learn and write about. Um, But this course on Athenian law and economy just captured my imagination, it was so inspiring and I spent a lot of time analysing ancient Greek, particularly, well specifically ancient Athenian court speeches, Um, and we also looked at some of those similar texts in political thought and practice, because again, well, political thought and practice, Um, and I just was enraptured. I mean, the fact that we have these speeches from court cases, from Political debates from public funerals that survive from this era is so fascinating. They're so rich in information. Um, And that is because the Athenians of really all Greek in particular um, civilizations. Uh, wrote so much down they were quite bureaucratic they were very very into like um, I I guess um, the academic pursuits and um, writing and um, speech making and rhetoric and plays and tragedy and comedy and everything and philosophy Um, and we have so much from them and that means they're somewhere you can go to for those kind of sources but in particular it was those court speeches I was just like wow This gives me such an interesting insight into Athenian life because although, yes, the people writing the court speeches were probably most often of a sort of middle or upper class um, with that level of education, um, they were writing speeches to appeal to ordinary people as opposed to necessarily writing philosophical polemics like someone of Aristotle or Plato's background Mm. who were you know, philosophising. They had their opinions, they didn't like democracy, they wrote interesting work, but it was very specific and it was very much of their school of thought, whereas reading speeches aimed at the general public and trying to um, extrapolate the ideology of the general public from that is something I find very, very interesting.
1: I would say that's a really interestingly neat viewpoint, because how middle and upper class people appealed to
0: yeah like
1: everyone else and it was also it just taught, quite different
0: yeah and it was just taught really well as well it was um taught by two lecturers um mirko Canavaro, and david lewis who are both um ancient greek scholars um and they were just brilliant lecturers really 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 good job at explaining their subject and making it so interesting that i just felt really compelled to continue studying it. And in fact I ended up doing my masters dissertation on a topic which now relates to my current PhD and was inspired by that course and had um uh, Dr Canavaro as my supervisor. So Oh that's so nice. Yeah, it all worked out quite well. <laughs> it makes
1: such a difference if you got a good if does. you got teachers or lecturers that you really gel with.
0: Yeah, and people are passionate about their topic and yeah. um, can speak passionately about it. So that was really, really fortunate.
1: What's the, if you, you probably won't stay in academia after you, your PhD, I guess, but if you had to study another bit of the I world. Had
0: to study bit. Of the entire world? Yeah. Ancient world. I mean, I, I- speak to you? I, I love it all. I mean, I focus on Greece. Um, everyone's aware of that at this point, like that's what my PhD's in, so it's always in the back of my mind. But I've studied the Romans, I've studied the Egyptians. Um, I've studied the Persians to an extent I guess I feel like I've got a big gap where um, Eastern Asia is concerned like one of the things I think is unfortunate is the lack of um, attention within um, the ancient history like departments of universities is on ancient China I'd love to know more about ancient China
1: well that's true actually I've never I've never seen world history yeah or modules anything like that around
0: yeah so that'd be cool. I'd like to, I, I really don't know anything about that. There's
1: um, so much history there.
0: Yeah, yeah. So I should definitely, in fact, find some books because, yeah, I'm not about to become an ancient Chinese scholar, but it would be <laughs> cool to learn more about it because, yeah, it really does not come up um, or it didn't come up in any part of my formal education. And then I haven't really read anything about it in my recreational life either. So I would like to, though. Well, if that's all of your questions, yes. I actually have a question for you. So I hope you're prepared. Yes. Um, and my question is, what book would you recommend to everyone listening right now?
1: I had a clear out of my mum's attic <laughs> when I was last down in England. Yeah. And I found all of my old like YA Garth Nix books. Ooh. And I'm really excited to uh, reread the Old Kingdom series, which mm. is like, Save Real, The Real. Um, and the rest of them. <laughs> there were three originally, there's like five now because yeah. there are some new ones and I'm excited to read those as well. So I would recommend those. Ooh. It's a really nice, like, high fantasy, um, easy reading. Yeah. I think you'd really enjoy them as well.
0: I'd like to read them. I'm definitely going to be borrowing them off Chris. I've also had um, a friend of mine recommend them to me in the past. So. They're yeah.
1: so good. Such good settings. Okay. they really creative.
0: Mm-hmm. Good magic good recommendation oh well thank you for coming on no, and asking you, those were me. really interesting questions <laughs> i really really enjoyed thinking about those um but if we have mentioned anything in this podcast i will pop the links for it in the show notes as well as our board game review account in case you're interested in board games as well as antiquity to very specific crossover interests there i don't know um <laughs> how common they are but thank you to everyone who listened make sure to follow the podcast on Twitter at that sanction and um, well I won't see you all in the next one because this is a podcast but you know until next time. <laughs>